Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, Episode 89. I don't believe in you know giving people fish dinners. If you if you catch my drift, uh, I, I want to teach you how to fish. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I'm Eric McMahon, and today we are joined by my friend, Dr. Josiah Igano. Uh, sports psychologist, strength coach, uh, member of the Texas Rangers staff, and uh, Josiah, welcome, man. It's great to be here, um, Eric. Thank you so much, man, for having me today. Yeah, man. So um, I think since I uh, since I became the podcast host here, I've been telling you that I'm going to have you on the show. So uh, so here it is. Um, you know, you. Uh, Grew up an athlete, college athlete, and then you pursued strength and conditioning, and then that led you to get your PhD in sports psychology, and you got that relatively recently. So congratulations on that, man! And um, thank you. And uh, yeah, w- what led you down that path? You know, to really um, dive into strength and conditioning as a career path, and then expand that even further into the sports psychology ranks. No, absolutely. So uh, I first off want to say that. Um, in terms of the designation of a psychologist, that's that's I did get my PhD in in, in performance psychology, but I do not um, carry that designation as a psychologist um, uh, for a number of reasons, which we'll probably talk about today. But uh, but yeah, in terms of the question, man, um, you know, it was it was crazy because when I I played football, I was a football player, and when I got finished playing and I graduated in two thousand and two um, from college. I told myself I would never go to school again. You know what I mean? I'm not going to go back and get my master's or, you know, you know, even you know, a PhD was not even in the realm of, of possibility. I just didn't even consider that as an option. Um, I, I thought I was, I was good and I just wanted to, you know, just continue to just live my life and, you know, do my thing. And I knew that I was going to be working with athletes. I knew that hundred percent. And as I started to progress in my field, as I, as I started to progress in my trade craft, um, my mission statement became that I wanted to train athletes physically. I wanted to encourage them spiritually and I wanted to challenge them mentally. And I wanted to do that at the very highest of levels, you know, in, in the professional ranks, if you will. And it's cool because I've been able to do that. I've been able to, to do that with, uh, with members of the NFL. I've been able to do that in Major League Baseball. I've been able to do that at the NCAA level and otherwise. And, um, you know, as far as the the path, as I started matriculating, you know, forward, I started noticing some certain things, right? I started noticing that, hey, if I'm going to work with athletes, if I'm going to do this at the highest level, you know, I'm looking at around the room and, you know, subconsciously, there's not a lot of people, you know, that looked like me. There was not a lot of people that saw things the way I saw. Uh, and they, quite frankly, there would be people that wouldn't necessarily take me seriously um, if I didn't, you know, have certain credentialing and certain seasoning behind my name, if you will. Uh, and so that's why I decided to go back to school, fortify my skills, augment my trade craft, and just have something more to give to the uh, the athletic population in which I serve. So that's kind of like the two-minute version of, uh, of where I am. You know, I've... Um, I've been in professional baseball now for, you know, almost 10 years, um, you know, on the major league side here with the Rangers for the Texas Rangers for the last three. Uh, and so that's the, that's the story in a nutshell, man. 
Yeah, I, I hear that and it, and it connects and, um, I, and I know you and I cross paths all those years with the Rangers. And so I, so I know your, your story. Um, but it's, it's one of those things that as strength coaches and we, on this podcast, we tell the story of strength coaches. Um, and as strength coaches, we're always sort of pushed to the edge of really what we think we're getting into when we get into this profession, whether that be on the edge of our scope of practice, once we get out into that, that workplace and we're, we're challenged to be the psychologist, uh, you know, I know we'll get to that term a little bit more, but we're challenged to be the psychologist or, or for our athletes at times or the nutritionist or really just mm-hmm. to be that one-stop shop, whatever the athlete needs. And it, it speaks to sort of the progression of the minor leagues and in professional baseball over the last 10, 20 years and how that has advanced into more specialties. Um, mm-hmm. But really your path in advancing and, and getting credentialed and, 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 and uh, credibility in that sports psychology uh, field uh, really speaks to that same journey that I think all strength coaches feel and that we all need a broad skill set. We all need to diver- diversify beyond uh, sets and reps and really that basic foundational starting point that we all have. So, um, yeah. you know, I, I, I hear you talk about that and, and I think it connects with a lot of strength coaches. Um, talk about your role with the Rangers. You know, you started as a strength coach. I remember um, working with you all those years, and then all of a sudden, you you sort of had your own department, and it started in the minor leagues, and it progressed up through the major leagues, and you've had just such a huge impact on that program. Um, talk about that role and just what you do in that uh, peak performance role that you've created. Absolutely, thank you. No, I want to I want to go back um, just a hair because you said something that you know speaks to strength coaches and me being a strength coach. You know. Uh, in that role as well, you know, we, uh, when I say we, I'm talking specifically, specifically about strength coaches, we get a chance to see the athletes in a light that no one else does, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we get to see athletes, and I absolutely love this about um, we as uh, strength conditioning professionals, we get a chance to see these guys and, and these women uh, that we serve in, in, the, in the various sports at their breaking point. And it's a very beautiful thing to see what an athlete is going to do at that turning point. Are they going to rise? Are they going to fall? Are they going to press forward? Are they going to fold up? And um, as strength coaches, you, you, you said it, we do have to diversify. Uh, it, you know, long gone are the days of, hey, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a CSCS and I'm good. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's becoming very competitive um, and you have to have, um, something that makes you different. One of my mentors told me this a long time ago. He's now he's a strength coach in the NFL. He said, you, you can't just be, you know, you know, CSCS. You can't just be a strength coach. You have to have something that no one else quite has. You have to have an insight that no one else quite has. And whatever that is for you, you have to figure that out to diversify. So I think that's very important. And I didn't want to, because that was such a powerful point you made. I didn't want um, that to, um, you know, go um, without saying so in the end, in terms of my, my role here in the background, you know, I was a strength coach for like, what, three years, I think it was three years. And I was working with our young players, um, you know, in the rookie, in the rookie league. And we needed, uh, someone to, you know, help really augment a peak performance department. And in essence, a sport and performance psychology department. 
Um, and they knew that I had somewhat of a background in that. And, you know, we started off, man. I, and you know, one of the things I loved is I love building things. I, I feel like if you build things, I believe, I don't feel, I believe that when you build something right, it lasts a long time. And when we built that department, we built it around our players, our coaches. We included our coordinators. We included our scouts. We included our front office. We included our entire organization. And it was awesome because we would have classrooms and we would bring in, we didn't just bring in guest speakers just to bring in guest speakers. We brought in speakers from the NFL. We brought in Navy SEALs. We brought in businessmen. We brought in, uh, uh, you know, just authors, strongmen, international strongmen. You know, we brought in, um, um, pastors, all kinds of people who would augment the message, right, of sport and performance psychology. And it was cool because they, did, they didn't say anything that deviated from our, our messaging. They just, they augmented it. And it was cool to see, um, you know, the, the, the development, uh, the excitement. Uh, and we just, we, we just do it different here, man, uh, with the Rangers. We do it completely different. We have fun. Uh, and it's something that we, we you know, we, we challenge each other in. In, in, in developing our mind, you know, um, many people, well, I'll, I won't, I won't go off into a tangent cause I can talk about this stuff all day, but <laughs> we built it up, you know, uh, we, we, we started hiring other mental skills coaches and performance coaches. Um, and you know, we just started, you know, carrying it on and passing it off, you know, carrying on the message and passing it off. And, you know, I don't believe in teaching people how to, you know, I don't, I don't believe in, you know, giving people fish dinners. If you, if you catch my drift, uh, I, I want to teach you how to fish. I think the greatest, and this is the last thing I'll say, Eric, uh, I think the greatest compliment that I've ever received is from an athlete a year, two, three, four, five years down the line. You know, many of these athletes and coaches in other organizations reaching out, you know, today and saying, hey, thanks for everything that you did. Thanks for the talks that we had. You know, thanks for... Um, the classrooms that we had, those, those, those made me better. It made me a better man. Uh, and so I think that, you know, that's the, the, the greatest honor, but yeah, man, we're still plugging away, man. And, and just, you know, building people. Right. Yeah, man. I, and, and just seeing that, you know, in my time with the Rangers, it, it truly, um, it truly was exactly how you described it. And I've always thought you've had just such a great way of connecting with, with players, staff, and at that time, it really brought a lot of unity, um, like you mentioned, to our staff and to the organization, you know, connecting with people personally, professionally, um, as an educator, uh, and also spiritually. And I thought bringing all those things together through your sessions, um, that was really powerful. Um, but it was also powerful, I think, from a strength and conditioning standpoint, that you were one of us. You were you were all, you know, we joke, you know, you had the gold card to our staff and our weight room. You were part of us. And, um, and that really, you know, there's so much to say for strength coaches expanding into roles within an organization, leadership roles and being impactful. And um, just a great example of that, that, um, that I got to experience. So I'm, I'm really thankful for, for that um, in, in knowing you all these years. Um, I want to, jump into the name game real quick. You know, you, you sort of danced around psychologist. Um, and I was reading an article yesterday on sort of the evolution of the sports psychology profession. And mm -hmm. one of the challenges, and I think this speaks to sports science as well. And, and the way we, uh, the way we describe sports science professions, 
you know, there's mental skills coaches, there's sports psychologists, there's um, peak performance. I never heard that until the Texas Rangers and your department, the peak performance department. So Mm -hmm. speak to what that means, peak performance, and um, maybe just a little bit of the distinction between different terminology out there and just bring a little clarity for us. Yeah, so no, absolutely. So you know, when you when you look at a psychologist, a psychologist, you know, it, it's it, even within the world of psychology, it's it's um, uh, it's become uh, you know almost a, le- a legal term. It's a legal term, right? And um, uh, there's a lot of infighting, if you will, uh, with the different branches and who can call themselves what and all this, that, and the other, right? So typically, a psychologist is somebody who's gone to school. They've gotten their terminal degree in either a PsyD, a PhD. Uh, they've gone through um, a national uh, board. Um, exam. They've gone through um, the different licensing, you know, through their state, their respective state to, to do what it is that they need to do. Some states license, um, you know, or they grant licensure, if you will, uh, for certain, you know, designations and not others. It's just, it's a little, you know, it, it can be a little complicated, but typically that when you see the like a psychologist, that is an individual who has done those aforementioned things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there are different, my background is, my master's is in, is in IO psychology, industrial organizational psychology, uh, and my terminal degree was in performance psychology. Um, so many people, there's, you know, there's a lot of, you know, uh, arguments that ensue around that. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you kind of like a, a, a triad, if you will, uh, and then I'll tell you a personal story uh, as far as kind of like my, my background. So if you look at the world of psychology right now, and this is my personal opinion, this is not anyone else's, but I get a lot of calls from young professionals that want to get into this world. And when you look at the world of psychology, to me, there are three main branches. There are more branches, but there are three main branches. The first branch is the academic branch. It's, these are the academians. These are the, the our professors. These are the authors. These are the individuals, the orators, if you will, who make our industry well-known, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's popularized in books. It's popularized in videos, documentaries, articles, and the like. These individuals are very valuable. And as a matter of fact, they're probably the more popular, you know, if you will. They become the more popular mainstream of faces and names that many people equate psychology to or personal development to, right? Uh, and then you have the clinicians, right? The clinicians are, you know, usually, um, uh, you know, they are, they are licensed, they are psychologists, you know, many of them are, some of them are social workers and in, 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 in whatever degree. Uh, when you talk about athletes, not all the time, but typically these are the furthest from the athlete. These are the individuals that you go to when something's wrong. You go to when you need medication, you go to when, you don't want to be seen with anybody. It's, it's crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like working in sports all these years, that's what I've seen. All right. And again, these are just, this is just my opinion. And then the third element of that triad, if you will, are the performance guys. The, these are the performance um, individuals who deal with the athlete and the coaches, you know, within the lines, right? How do you upregulate? How do you downregulate? You know, how do you use progressive muscle relaxation? How do you use visualization? How do you use thought stopping techniques, finding focal points, command words, these are the individuals who um, are working, you know, with the athletes in the trenches, right? They're in the food room, they're on, you know, in the weight room, they're, you know, in, at, at the batting cages, watching bullpens. These are the individuals who are around the players and who are walking with the players and who are the closest 
to the players, right? The athletes whom we serve. And so, you know, for us as a department, you know, I, I pride ourselves in, in utilizing, I think one of the things that makes us special or that has made us special uh, is that we utilize all three of these elements in everything that we do, right? Um, Dr. Ken Revizo, mm. he's the, the godfather, um, God rest his soul. Like I, I learned from him when I first started, I went to, I called several people to, you know, to get information from, to be mentored by. He called me back. This guy invited me to his home in California there. I think it was Torrance, California. You know, I was going to visit a minor league team at the time. And he said, he said, when you come back through, just come through the house. And I called him up. It was me and another uh, psychology professional from West Point. And this guy told me everything I needed to know. He said, Josiah, I've been fighting this battle of the clinical psychology people and the performance people for years. He goes, you need to have your foot, your feet rooted on the performance side. You know, if you want, go clinical, do all that, but you have to be rooted in the performance side. And so when you look at peak performance, right? And that's another thing, Eric, that, you know, this is another, this is another podcast because many people, many people, that word is thrown around by so many people. Oh, performance, 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 elite performance, high performance, perform this, perform that, performance. Many people throw that word around and they don't even know how to define it. Per performance is the execution, it's the execution of a specific task or function, right? That's what performance is. Whether you're talking about a machine or whether you're talking about a human being or, uh, or, or, you know, some type of instrument or what have you. Performance is the execution of a specific task or function. More specifically, how well, how efficient does that machine, how well, how efficient does that individual, that, that person execute said task or function? And so our department exists to help people perform more efficiently. Right. So for some individuals, it might be, hey, you know, they, they don't they don't know how to control their thoughts. They're thinking about too many things. For some people, they don't know how to downregulate their their breathing is labored. For some individuals, it's they have a negative vocabulary. For some individuals, it might be something as simple as bad body language. I was talking with a, a pitcher the other day. I'm like, dude, when you're on the mound, dude, and you're frustrated, everybody knows and it's blood in the water, dude. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So when you talk about peak performance, this is. Um, a department that was established to increase self-awareness, right, and augment player performance. And we do that through testing, assessment, and education. And as you well know, I'm big on education. We're not about fish dinners, man. I don't want to give you a fish dinner. I want to show you how to do it and make it your own. So that in a nutshell is the answer to that question. Performance psychology is obviously a very relevant topic for coaches. Uh, but in the team environment, the language associated with psychology can come across somewhat academic. And I think it really relies on the ability of the coach or professional to communicate that academic subject in a way that connects to the athlete. Joe, I want to ask you about communication structures within members of the performance team and how it relates to your role in the peak performance department. Uh, MLB staffs have grown a lot over the years and uh, peak performance, even the number of strength coaches on staffs um, are a testament to that. Speak to peak performance and mental skills as part of an expanding system of coaches, front office, strength and conditioning coaches, and other professions working with players. 
And um, how does it all fit together and how does that communication happen? Yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, to put it very simply, you know, um, you know, it, it's it's one of those things whereby what what we do within our department, um, it 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 affects everything, right? Some the way somebody thinks is going to affect what someone says, which is going to affect what we're all paid on, and that's performance. Did we get the job done or did we not get it done, right? And I think in the very beginning of our conversation, we talked about how, you know, when we established this department, it was everybody. We had our pitching coordinator, we had our hitting coordinator, we had our field coordinator, we had various coaches, various players share. You know what I'm saying? Like it was all a part of what we did. And, you know, that's the the beautiful thing. I think when we have a department like this, it should be hand in glove with everything else right? It should be, it, it, it should be in lockstep with everybody else. I spend a lot of time talking to our hitting uh, coaches. I spend a lot of time talking to our pitching coach. I spend a lot of time talking with our manager. I spend a lot of time, you know, working with our strength conditioning coach, you know, the, the leaders, the heads, if you will, um, making sure that the messaging that they want and the messaging that they stand for is, is being augmented and being lived out. And so, I think it's very important, you know, the psychology of, you know, anything is the key to everything, right? Um, how do you go about your thought process as a hitter? How do you go about your thought process, you know, as a pitcher? How do you go about your thought process as a coach, fill in the blank? And for me, I think it, it, there, there's a fine line, and I'll say this, there's a fine line in my position, as you well know, you've worked in professional sports for years, between being a resource and being a practitioner is a fine line because at the end of the day, we're dealing with professional athletes and they're, they were really good before we even knew who they were before we even got the honor to work with them. And so you want to be a resource and say, Hey, you know, I have this, that, and the third for you if you want it. But at the same time, right. Um, if you see somebody, you know, who can, who needs a little bit of more of this or, or you need to suggest this, then you, you know, you, 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 you walk that line and you, you know, you meet them halfway. But um, yeah, again, I believe the psychology of anything is the key to everything. Talk to strength coaches for a second and just say, you know, you have all this training now in performance psychology and you work hard to connect with players. And that is such a big emphasis when you, in all of our education events right now, it's all about connecting. You know, it's all about connecting and communicating with, with players. Um, what from, from your role in peak performance? What do strength coaches need to watch out for? What do we need to know to be most effective in working with athletes on a daily basis? Absolutely, that's, that's a good. That's a great question. Uh, three words: heart, mind, body. Uh, it's heart, mind, body, you know, at the end of the day, everybody wants to talk about performance, right? Which is bodily. It's a bodily, you know, you know, uh, it's a manifestation of a of bodily functions, whether that's throwing a strike, whether that's sinking free throws, um, whether that's, you know, blowing alignment off the line, you know, for a block. Um, everybody wants to talk about performance, the end goal, right? We always want to talk about the numbers, you know, what, what, what's your ERA? right? What's the launch angle? Uh, what's your free throw percentage? 
you know, what's your, what's your third down conversion rate? Everybody wants to talk about that stuff. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's glittery, it's shiny, it looks, it looks great, right? But we fail to talk about the hardest things to talk about, which starts from the heart. One of my mentors a long time ago, uh, and, and, and a great friend today, Chuck Howard, um, he says, hey, man, if you can't reach an athlete's heart, you're not going to be, reach, be able to reach their mind. And if you can't reach their mind, you're not going to be able to reach their body. So when you're training an athlete, and, and this, is, this, goes, this is true for, even on the psychological front as well. If, if I can't connect with that individual's heart, right? If I, if I uh, am not resonating with what he's going through as a player, what she's going through as a player, um, if I don't care about some of the issues that many of our athletes are facing now um, with the current state of affairs, you know, um, whether it's, um, you know, politically, socially, um, what have you, um, if I can't resonate and I can't speak to their heart, right? The X's and O's, the, the, the techniques, right? Um, uh, the game planning, um, you know, the facts, the data, that stuff doesn't register in my mind. It doesn't register in their mind. And if it doesn't register in their mind, then it's not going to register in performance. It becomes robotic. It becomes transactional. Mm-hmm. And that's not what you want. If you want to be a, a, a person of impact, if you want to be a strength coach who has impact, Right your relationship with your players, with your other coaches cannot be transactional. You know, it, it starts with the heart. What's important to this athlete? What is, what, what pisses this athlete off? What excites this athlete? What concerns does this athlete have? You know, when I can find out what that is and I can resonate at the heart level, then all of a sudden that athlete's going to open up, you know, his or her mind when I speak now I'm ready to receive what you have to say. Oh, I'm not, I'm not getting deep enough on the squat. Okay. Oh, I need to have, you know, uh, my back in a certain position for this lift. Oh, okay. So I need to extend all the way through and triple extension. Oh, okay. Now the athlete can, can take in the hard data, right? They can take in the, they can take in the statistics. They can take in the, the, the sheets and the printout, for, for why I'm not being as effective as I can be in certain situations. And guess what happens? Now my body can perform. So when you say, hey, how do we connect? That's the answer. Heart, mind, body. I like that. No, I really like that. And uh, it goes back to my uh, Springfield College days and the sort of the mantra and the uh, it's the mind, body, spirit connection that they, you know, that, underlies that education and um and it really um yeah it speaks to the coaching process it's really at the core of it and i think we've come so far you know as a profession in recognizing that and i don't think you know we've always been that field to just grind it out you know just get you know make it hard on the interns make it hard on the young coaches make them pay their dues let them get it, you know, and, and that was the same approach we took with athletes, you know, survival of the fittest. Well, to perform at your best on a team, you need to know that the people around you and, and working with you truly care. And that is such a powerful stimulus for an athlete when there's a support system around them that they know uh, 
everyone around them has their back. I want to let our listeners know that Josiah is one of our speakers this October at the Personal Trainers Virtual Conference. Um, and we, uh, I say you're speaking in October, we actually already recorded it. This is a green screen event. We turned you into a, uh, a weatherman for the day and put you on the green screen. I want to talk about perfectionism. Um, and you related that to personal training for the conference, but this is a topic I've heard you uh, speak on. And to me, it's, it connects with any professional, any athlete that is truly passionate about the work they do. Um, because I think at any point, you just get so dialed in and you care and, and you just want it to be, you want your work to be perfect. Um, and you speak to perfectionism, to players, to coaches, um, to personal trainers at this upcoming event, and um, share that with us. What is the perfectionism topic, and why is that relevant to our profession? Yeah, it's 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 um, it's a topic that I'm very passionate about. I've shared you know on this topic you know everywhere from Taiwan you know to the west coast of the United States. Man, it's something that everyone deals with. Um, I think I think many high level performers deal with perfectionism, you know, and it's a state where, you know, someone regards anything short of perfection as unacceptable, um, which is very detrimental, extremely detrimental to your progress, right? You know, I've, you know, you can, I've seen perfectionists throw away, you know, years worth of work, a season's worth of work because it wasn't good enough because it was, it wasn't perfect. And, you know, in this talk, we, we talk about, you know, some of the history behind perfectionism. Many people don't know this, but perfectionism was actually originally regarded as a psychological problem. And people who, who had, uh, were in need of help, rather, um, for anxiety and depression actually had higher levels of perfectionism. And so we talk about what that is. We talk about some of the characteristics of perfectionist. Um, some of the lies that they tell themselves. We look at some of the seminal history uh, behind perfection, uh, perfectionism, um, rather. Uh, and we just, you know, we go through we go through history and we bring it back to some some palatable solutions. Um, you know, as far as how to mitigate uh, and or eliminate perfectionism. You know, and so uh, it's again, it's something that many people struggle with. Uh, and I've had, I've literally had surgeons, you know, um, you know, who uh, are another form of high level performers say, Hey man, this stuff is exactly what we go through. Like we go through this exact same thing as a surgeon. Right. Um, and it's so easy to be grinding as a strength coach. It's so easy to say, all right, I got to have the perfect program. You know, they have to have perfect form. We got to get, you know, we got to make sure that, you know, we're getting stronger and we can measure them through our maxes and through our testing. And we got to make sure that, you know, we have X, Y, and Z in order to a place where excellence does not, you know, become good enough. Right. And that's very dangerous. And so we talk about, um, many of those concepts. And we actually give some some uh, some palatable solutions uh, to help eliminate that. So here's a question for you, Joe. Um, you know, you you threw out the term, you know, high level performers, and I think in professional baseball, um, Power Five conference sports, you know, we can all relate that to high level performance. Obviously, other professions like medicine, um, but let's go towards development. 
you know, we both have kids, we have families. Um, many of us work with youth athletes. What is the role of these psychological skills that you, that you teach and how do you, how do you introduce that during the developmental years to better prepare athletes for when they are high level performers? Oh man, that's such a good question, man. You know, I was on the phone yesterday with a psychologist from Ireland and, you know, you know, we here in the United States, we, we, we have this, um, uh, infatuation with the motivational videos, right? Uh, we, We love watching some motivational videos, man. And he goes, quite frankly, he goes, that doesn't work over here. (laughs) He's like, we're a little bit more cynical over here, you know? And it's funny because when you start looking at some of these psychological concepts, you can start introducing these to children, you know, and there's so much research behind it too. Like you can start, you know, um, uh, researching it to children. Even in my dissertation, one of the things that I found, and I did not publish this, I did, this was not, I did not publish this as, as a part of my results because my results dealt with, you know, mental toughness and first language and then mental toughness and locus of control. But one of the things that was an awesome find through my research is that mental toughness, there, were, there was no statistical um, significance in its relationship with age, right? So you can actually... And what that means, to put it very simply, is that you can teach these concepts, these psychological principles to young people, and they can bear fruit. They can be successful. And so the more and more we can uh, introduce these concepts, you know, like confidence, visualization, um, you know, even, you know, championship body language, uh, journaling, things like tactical breathing, all of these things, the, the more we can introduce these to young people, we are setting them up for success. And, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive, you know, when you start looking at that. And again, that's another, you know, podcast, but there's a lot of research out there that is showing that these concepts, these principles, these, uh, um, you know, these mental skills can be applied to the youth and that they can, you know, bear much fruit. And, and we're seeing this at a professional level, right? You know, you're getting results at a professional level and the research is showing us on the, you know, completely other end of the spectrum that it's bearing fruit with young people. So um, these mental skills that we talk about, um, you know, being, being, having people being mentally tough, these are things that can be trained, yet we spend so little time doing so. Yeah, absolutely, man. I think back to a conversation we had where we were talking about our kids and um, it stood out to me that we're talking about, you know, our sons, it's, we got to preach confidence, you know, and that is such a powerful tool, you know, for performance and it's such a driving force for, yes. for you know, for for kids, for young athletes, for elite performers, just to be able to take that next step forward and to, and and overcome, you know, whatever setbacks, whatever failures, um, you know, that, that they've faced, um, whatever's causing them anxiety or stress, go back to the beginning for you. Talk about challenges that you faced, whether it was becoming, just getting into the field of strength and conditioning, pursuing all the way up through your PhD. Um, 
even as a college athlete or as a youth athlete growing up? I mean, I was a college athlete, you know, and I faced my challenges, you know, as a college, college athlete, I was, I played cornerback in college, you know, um, I was a, an average to below average, you know, college football player. Uh, and I, and I took my lumps along the way. Um, you know, I think, uh, it, you know, I think one of the, the most, uh, the proudest moments is when I, for me professionally was when I passed my CSCS test, you know what I mean? Cause, um, you know, I didn't do too hot the first time around. Uh, you know, I, I think I missed it by, I think it was a point or so. And I know there's a lot of people that are probably listening to this and that are in a similar boat, um, who may need some encouragement. And, you know, uh, to me, I knew that I, I needed this, um, or that this was going to be a big part of who I was to become. And uh, I knew it was the gold standard and I took it very seriously and came up a little short in the first, the first time, but then I, you know, killed it the next time. And, you know, that was huge, you know? Um, and, you know, as a, as a professional, when you start as a strength coach, you're going to mess up, you know what I mean? You're going to mess up. Um, you're going to give the wrong prescriptive, uh, you know, somebody's going to get hurt underneath your care. Like these things are going to happen you know, and just being able to, um, you know, to bounce back uh, and to, to, to be able to address it and say, hey, did well, do better, right? What did I do well? And what can I do better? And being able to have that iterative, iterative process of development is huge. Um, you know, you know, even my doctoral journey, I mean, I got my butt kicked, man, for six years, you know, um, you know, just mentally, you know, you know, ironically, my dissertations and mental toughness and I got my butt kicked man you know not good enough put this in there take this out you know when you're asked to take out a large portion of your your work you know your magnum opus if you will by somebody who's been there done that that stuff is that stuff hurts you know what I'm saying um um but then you then you uh you know you just kind of regroup and regather um so man <laughs> I can talk about all the failures that I've had here. Uh, and I think one of the biggest things that I would just want to encourage everyone listening, the strength, these strength coaches listening is that, man, like it's, it's funny because, you know, when I was a strong, when I got my CSCS, I always knew that I was more than the strength coach. Right. Um, I was a chaplain at one point. I, I used to, you know, do chapels for NFL football teams, uh, major league baseball teams, uh, collegiate teams, you name it. But I always saw myself as more than a chaplain. I got my PhD, right, in performance psychology. And, you know, we're talking about the designation of a psychologist and everything like that in the very beginning of this call. And I always saw myself as more than, you know, a sports psychology person, right? And what I want to encourage you guys in today is, man, you have a specific skill set. You have specific gifts, talents, and abilities that no one else quite like you has, and you are more than a designation. You are more than what somebody thinks about you. You are more than a, than, you know, a test score or more than the school that you work at or the organization that you work for. And it is your responsibility to elicit and to extract everything um, of, from who you are so that you can give it to the world. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and, and ultimately provide for your family um, and leave a legacy. And so you're going to have 
failures along the way. You know, failure is a part of it. Um, but those who are afraid of failing, they will not move forward and, and they will not do great things. You cannot do great things without facing failure because <laughs> failure is coming for you. It's going to be a part of, you know, uh, your, your story. It's going to be a part of your legacy, but it's your job to elicit everything that is within you to give it back. Right. And to leave that legacy and failure is just part of the process. It's feedback. Like the late Kobe Bryant said, it's feedback, man. That's all it is. It's just feedback. All right. I got to go left this time. All right. I got to go straight this time. Okay. I'm going to go right. Whatever it is, it's an iterative process. And that's, I think that's the best thing I can say in terms of the, uh, you know, the, this topic of, of failure and hard times is that it is an iterative process. It's not over until you quit and you never quit until you win. And so just keep that in mind. Wow, man. I don't know. It's hard to follow up on that one. That one, that one's like, a. We could end this thing right now. That, that was awesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a, that's a mic drop right there. Um, no, so, you know, we had Richard Howell, the Indianapolis Colts on a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, one thing he said was, you know, just advice to young coaches was be the best you can be in the role you have right now. Um, and that speaks to the moment and that speaks to that job, but it also speaks to, you know what, there that's going to lead to other opportunities. And I just love that well-rounded. Don't just be a strength coach, be a contributor on all fronts. And mm -hmm. I just, I just love what you just said, man. That was awesome. So, you know, that's something that you carried with you from the beginning, you know, talk about something that's changed. Like what, how's your perspective, whether it be strength and conditioning or this approach towards uh, peak performance, how, what's so, uh, something in your perspective that's changed um, over your time in the field? You know what? Uh, that's a great question. And I think the thing that my mind goes immediately to is, you know, when you build something, build it right. Build it right, man. You know, take the time on the front end to build your foundation, dig deep, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when you look at, when you look at the, uh, the Colosseum in Rome, it took 10 years to build that thing. 10 years, right? And it still stands today. Why? Because it was built right, right? There was a lot of thought, a lot of forethought. There was a lot of intention. There was a lot of purpose before and during its construction. It was built right. Now, if you want to go and build a building in downtown, you know, Dallas or Phoenix or, you know, wherever you live, and you have a lot of money and you have access to a lot of capital, you can call the right people and you can get that thing zoned and, you know, the ordinances properly, you know, adhered to, and you can get a building up in a few months. You know, you can build that thing quick. But if you look at that Coliseum, I always love that, that word picture because it's, it took 10 years to build that thing, man. But still today it stands and it is one of the most visited places in the world. Millions of people visit there every, I think it's between, I think the last time I checked, it was like between three to 5 million people every year, like visitors wow. that it got. And it still stands today. It still stands today. Don't quote me on those numbers, but I think that's what it was the last time I, um, uh, I, I looked it up. 
millions of people still going there to this day because somebody, a group of people took the time to build it right. And my, my, you know, when you asked about perspective and what's changed is I think it's something that has just been more fortified, you know, and more seared into my mind that, you know what, if you're going to build something, build it right, do it right, complete it the whole way. Right. And you said it well-rounded, you know, that's one of the reasons why I went back to school because I wanted to make sure I gave my family options. Right. And, you know, when you do something, build it right, you know, be thorough, think about the future. I, I love, you know, uh, there's a term that I've, I've used for years and I love it. It's called, I, I call it building concurrently. You need to be building concurrently. Wow, I like right. That. Yeah. You know, so while you're in your profession, if you're like, let's say you're a strength coach at a university and you know that you you don't want to be there for five, the next five or 10 years of your life, right? What do you do? You build concurrently. You give everything that you have there. And then at the same time, you're doing your research. You're fortifying your skills. You're reading books. You're working on programming. You're, you're working on, hey, if I ever got the opportunity to become a head strength coach at a Division I school, right, or, or a professional sports organization or for an Olympic team, this is what I would do. You start building concurrently. That's what you do. You, you, you go to those, those, uh, you know, those seminars when you can. You watch those videos when you can. You take those notes. I have, man, I have decades worth of just journals and notebooks that I still to this day refer back to because I was taking notes, you know, during my, during my time at work, you know, I can't tell you how many programs that I designed, how many things that I wrote, you know, while I was, you know, while I had some downtime, you have to build concurrently, you know, and, and I think that, um, you know, that taken in with what I said prior to building it right, it goes a long way. And in doing so, you're going to have um, a lot of fruit on your tree when you look up in the next two, three, four, five years. You know, I, I think that that's a very huge. That's really good advice for young strength coaches. And we have a lot of those that listen to this podcast. Um, and, you know, I think that is yeah, that. You know, what's interesting, Joe, and, and it really brings me to, um, you mentioned a lot of the books that get popular and, you know, we talked about how fields are getting more specialized, but, um, but then this kind of brings it back to being well-rounded and, and building a broad foundation of skills. And it kind of connects me to this, the range concept that's out there right now. Um, and, um, which, I know a lot of coaches are reading and, um, but it really is great advice to young coaches, be well-rounded, uh, you know, explore all facets of the field. You just have no idea where your niche is going to be. Um, and, and one thing I know we both can probably connect with is that in every five, five to 10 years, wherever the, the milestones are in your life perspective changes things change you know and, and and it really is you know we don't talk a lot about work-life balance in this profession we don't talk a lot about like you mentioned providing for our families what does that look like 
How does that work with this profession? Those are immense challenges in the strength and conditioning world, in the professional sports world, the college sports world. That There's so many different layers to that and unique situations that, that coaches and practitioners um, that face. And so um, I just, you know, a lot of takeaways from that. And I think we'll leave it right there, man. This is Dr. Josiah Igano. Uh, PhD in performance psychology. He's also a CSCS strength coach. Uh, he and I worked together for years with the Texas Rangers organization. Uh, just an unbelievable friend. I, I really value our friendship and I really appreciate you being on the podcast today. Um, so thank you, man. Hey, Eric, thank you so much for having me. It was, it was great. And I hope we can do it again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to our listeners, thanks for tuning in. And we'd also like to thank Sorenex Exercise Equipment, our sponsor, for everything they do making this podcast possible. Have a great day. You often hear these podcasts recorded at NSCA conferences and events. Why not join us at the next one? You can get all the details on upcoming events at nsca.com events. And to all of you listening, we appreciate your support. Again, if you like the podcast, make sure you subscribe wherever you download your podcast from. Write us a review and keep listening in. Thank you, and I look forward to talking with you all soon. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.